um, worried about things, and I'm glad that I don't have to do that anymore. Mostly because of you guys, because y'all are so awesome. And it's just so nice to see the life that we have in here. And I tell you, what's really cool about offerings, and I didn't even plan on talking about this, but just thinking about it when we were taking up offerings, since, since Tracy and I have, have taken over as, as leadership of this church, we, you know, we talked about offerings and how we need to do it, and we've, we've not mentioned anything about tithe or 10% or anything. We've always just said, let the Holy Spirit lead you, and you guys have always been faithful in giving, and there's, I just want to let you know that there are lots of things that you don't see. I mean, you guys know the budget, but that some of the leadership gets to see where we can bless people, and it's really cool because there are people in our church that need things from time to time, and it's awesome that we can, we can give those because of, of what you guys give. And what's really cool about it is it's from your heart, and it's not out of obligation or fear or manipulation on our part. So I just thank you for that because you guys are awesome in doing that. And, and, it, and it, it goes farther than you even know. So anyway, we'll leave that there. All right. Last time. Oh, I got a video. Should, play the video real quick. And then we're going to talk about love. Video. Can you drop the lights too? Yes. Can you do all the things, Jeremy? Buddy, everybody. <laughs> do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this actually is a restatement of something else that Jesus said that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English because you can love your mom and you can love love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? First of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is but then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. First quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important. To love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important? Loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people, and vice versa, they're inseparable. So this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing in return. For 
Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. That's the New Testament meaning of agape love. We can just leave now. That was... <laughs> it is. It really is. And, I, and I'll tell you, we, um, for a while we were doing this in children's church. It's called the Bible Project. And these two guys study all the ancient languages and it's very interesting. And I've learned a lot from it as well. Um, and so I encourage you to check out all the videos. They're really good and they're good to look to watch with your kids. And we watched this one with our kids too and showed it to them. Um, but somebody, one of you guys sent me that this week because um, it was one of their new videos and sent it to me and it was really interesting. And so that sparked what I want to talk about today, which is love. Um, the, the main point that I got from that, there was lots of really good points there, but one of the main points that I got was our um, misinterpretation or the transliteration of the word love in our culture. Now, the last time I did this, I made a really, <laughs> some of y'all may have been here, made a really you know, radical statement at the beginning and embarrassed my wife. So I'm not going to do that. Some of you may remember that, and, and she's already not real happy with me because I took her keys this morning on accident. And she had to get a ride to church. And she's serving in the nursery, so you guys love on her after service so that she will love me. <laughs> she called me, and she said, hey, where are my keys? And they're in my pocket. Right where they're supposed to be. This almost happened last week, too, anyway. It's all my fault. So maybe she'll listen to this podcast and give me unconditional love. All right. Um, so, anyway, I'm not going to do that, but he, get, he gave a, a more mild um, version of what I said last time, which was, we love pizza and we love mom. Now, it, that's a good point to make because I don't think we fully understand what love is. Um, and, and that's very important because if we say that we love people and we love God, we need to know what love is. We have to determine the definition of love in the way that it's, it's given to us. And we're going to start in 1 John and we're going to end up in Corinthians at some point. 1 Corinthians 13 is where we'll end up. We're going to start in 1 John. Um, 1 John 4, 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, let's stop there. God is love. Now, what I loved about the video is it kind of reversed it. Instead of looking for the definition of love, we're really looking for the definition of God at this point. Who is God? God is love is what it says right here in 1 John. God is love. We can't love people. This is what we have to wrap our minds around. I remember hearing this, and people would say, you know, you can't love people unless you love God. Well, why not? I, I love people, right? I mean, I have affection towards people, but I didn't know what love was. The reason we can't love people until God loves us is because the love that they're talking about, just like he was talking about, has been translated and transliterated through time that it's not, it doesn't hold the same meaning. Love is the very definition of who God is. That's why we can't do it unless we have it from him. Listen, many of you have heard me say, I didn't, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't get saved or I wasn't born again because so many people pointed out all the bad things I was doing or pointed out all my sin. I did have a lot of people do that, but none of that changed me. But when someone introduced me to God, a God who had unconditional love, that changed me. That was something that was foreign to me, was unconditional love. I understood conditional love. I do for you, you do for me, right? That's transactional. I'm, I'll be good to you, you're good to me. That's, that's the love that I understood. But when I was introduced to what they were talking about, uh, agape love, real love, uh, unconditional love, that radically changed my perspective of everything because I never knew anyone that could love me beyond my circumstances, my sin, all the bad things I was doing. It was always conditional, right? Does that make sense? So the reason we can't, the reason it's a a two-sided coin, love God, love people, is because we can't, uh, you have to have $10,000 to give it away, right? I can't give away $10,000 if I don't have it in my pocket. So we have to understand that we are unconditionally loved before we can unconditionally love other people. Does that make sense? So the very definition of love is God. So God I'm sorry, I said that backwards. The very definition of God is love. So we've got it a little bit reversed. So once we see that, then we can kind of determine exactly what this love is. So God is love. And we have to get away from man's version of it. The same way we've understood so much more clearly now what repentance is. You can look up Webster's Dictionary and repentance and it's all wrong. (laughs) It's something that we've written. But if you go all the way back to the Greek, repentance is metanoia, which is change your mind, change the way you think. It's the renewing of the mind through a transformation of our hearts. So in the same way, we've got to look at love from God's perspective, not our perspective, because our perspective is, is, is temporary and is skewed by our own experiences, right? So let's see. We need, a better, we need a better definition of God. This will give us a better understanding of what love really is. So we're going to jump to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, and there's so much I could talk about in here. But I really want to focus on love for now. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 says, if, if I speak in the tongues of men and, or, or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol, clanging symbol. If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Let's stop there. How many of you guys, and I speak from my own experience, have, have tried this either before or even after salvation, tried to manufacture your own version of, of love towards people, right? 
the, the, I, I go back to the whole witnessing thing when I first got saved and went through like discipleship classes and those kind of things where we go and make people feel awkward in Walmart and we really have half the time, the, the thing that breaks my heart is I didn't care for any of those people. I didn't love those people. I felt an obligation to a God that I still felt was expecting something from me instead of giving me something to share. You see the difference there? There's, a, there's a, an unconditional love that comes and a natural byproduct of that will be loving other people. The, the anti-Christ version of this is a religious thing that tries to mimic something that's real. It's saying that I have to perform for God to be happy with me, so I have to make other people perform so that I'll be happy with them. That's not unconditional love. That's transactional love. That's a, a very limited perspective of love. Think about this. this. This goes all the way back to putting God first. Have you ever heard put, we need to put God first in our lives? That's a Everything that I do and everything that I try to see from Scripture, I try to take to its end. We can't stop somewhere and move on to something else if we don't take it all the way to its end. If we put God first now, then we can put him second tomorrow, right? We're not in a hierarchy. We're not part of a covenant that that's bumps up with performance. We're all in or all out. That's why sin, most of the sin mentioned throughout, especially the New Testament, is a, a noun. It's not a verb. It's a person, place, or thing. It's something you come out of or you're inside of. In the same way, when we, when we love, it's, it's such, a, such a greater concept than just an affection, right? Because we're fickle, right? We, we have emotions, and we care, and then we don't care, and then we care a lot, and we don't care a lot. If we say, well, we put God first, we need to put him first in our lives every day, we need to put him first, we need to put him first, then we're putting, on, put, we're putting him somewhere else besides in ourselves, and that's where he is. God doesn't, I always say, we don't check our Holy Spirit at the door. He ain't going anywhere. <laughs> he's with you always. If you've received him in your heart, he's there. He's there all the time. We don't place him in different places. He is always with us. So him being always with us, as a natural byproduct of that, love, unconditional love, is always with us. So what we, what we give is only what we can receive. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. We don't place it in different areas. We may recognize this is what renewing of the mind is. This is why... I, another reverse thing we've had, we've worried of what we see and what we hear when we need to be focused on what God's done in our hearts so it can come out of our, out of our mouths and, and, and we can speak to people. It's, it's not a self-centered version of Christianity. It's a Christ-centered version of Christianity, which makes a little bit of sense that we should be focused on the Christ that has done everything for us in our hearts and change the way we see everything else that we see. Metanoia. Not feel bad for your sin constantly. Change the way you see Everything. Everything. Eternal perspective. We talk about miracles. We talked about miracles last week, and, and we kind of wrestled with that and struggled with that. The greatest miracle is that we can have eternal life now because you were born, right? You, you were born. When you inherit eternal life, by definition, eternal life has no end and no beginning. That's a miracle. Unconditional love is a miracle. We don't possess the power to give unconditional love. You hurt me, I, my natural reaction would be to hurt you back or to defend myself. When you have unconditional love, you know that your source is a father, outside of time and space, that you begin to see people not as enemies, but as people that are hurt and that need Christ just as much as you needed him, that need an unconditional love just as much as you needed an unconditional love, it changes your perspective. It changes the way you see everything. Now, this, I don't really want to get too deep into it, but when he's talking to the Corinthians, he's talking about speaking in tongues and doing all these things, and we've, I've been a part of, of charismatic churches and different style I don't like denominations. You know my beef with that. I don't like divisions at all. Um, it, it's such a, 
It's such a genuine heart for, for Christ and his life through us that it doesn't matter about all these details that we get caught up in. And in the same way, Paul's trying to tell the Corinthians the same thing. He's like, look, you got, it's great. I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's great, speak in tongues. But if you don't love, you're like a resounding gong. Don't find pride in your gifts. And don't puff up and boast about them, that you're better than anybody else. Because if you don't love, you're like a resounding gong. The same way when we used to witness to people, when I I speak for myself, maybe not you, you you guys might have been genuine and loved people. I didn't. And And it breaks my heart, but I didn't. I would go out and do things out of obligation, out of fear, and out of a misunderstanding of who God was. The problem with, with me is I didn't understand love because I didn't understand who God was. Does that make sense? Amen. I couldn't understand his love because I didn't know who he was. I had no idea. I knew he had done something, but I didn't fully grasp who he was in me. Verse 4, he says, he begins to give a description of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Most of you have heard this at weddings and different places. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, we just read in 1 John that God is love. Right? Did we all hear that? So what we're going to do is we're going to go through this kind of piece by piece. And to give some perspective, we're going to replace love in these scriptures with God. And I hope that it helps you see who God is a little bit better. Because if it, if it helps you see who God is a little bit better, it'll help you see how he loves you, and it'll help you to love other people in a way that only he can through you. All right. How many of you know there's a difference in having and being? We've talked about this before. There's a difference in having. We, we are new creations in Christ now. He has come to live in our heart. He has transformed us. There's a finished work in our hearts. We've talked about software and hardware. That's the hardware. Our software needs to be, I always do this, so I look crazy. It needs to be updated. You get a new MacBook Pro, immediately needs to be updated. Your hardware is done. Christ has died. You have eternal security in your heart. Our minds have to catch up to that, and it'll take your whole life to fully do it. You'll constantly be refreshed, refreshed, refreshed. So we have something, and we have to understand that it's not just about having it, but it's about being, Okay? Let's break it down. We're going to break down uh, 1 Corinthians, verse 4. It says, God is patient. It says, love is patient. The definition of love is God. The definition of God is love. So we're going to say, God is patient. This is backed up in 2 Peter 3, 9. You don't have to go there. I'm just going to read it real quick. Crick. <laughs> read it real quick. Got a crick in my neck. We're going to read that real quick. <laughs> All right. Real quick. We're going to read this. Uh, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, to come to a renewing of their mind. So God is patient. Think about that. God is patient with us. Should we be patient with other people? We should. Why? Because he's patient with us. Second one, God is kind. And I, I can't, I'm not going to proof text each of these, but I found a couple that were pretty good. Luke 6.35 says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. 
Let that sink in a minute. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. How much more do you think he's kind to us? We're his children now. So God is kind. So how much should, should we receive that? We have to receive it before we can get it. Remember, you can't give away $10,000 unless you have $10,000. You have to receive and understand that God is kind. And so you can, you can now share that kindness with other people, not out of fear and obligation, but out of an understanding of how good God is and, and his heart for people. So another renewing of your mind, you begin to see the heart of God in our own hearts. It begins to change. You begin to become more and more like him goes on to say love, and we'll, we'll say God. God does not envy, boast, and he is not proud. Think about this for a minute. God's not insecure. God doesn't have to run around and talk about how big and bad God is. He's, I think he's pretty good. He, he knows who he is. He doesn't have to run around and boast like we talked about uh, with the Corinthians when they got caught up in all the gifts, running around boasting and, and all the cool things that they had and all these neat things. He's saying, look, that's not how God is. God doesn't have to boast, and he's not proud, and he doesn't puff up like that. He doesn't need to. In the same way, we don't need to. We don't need to run around and be proud and boast and, and puff up like that. Look at the gifts that I have. You need to have gifts like me. And I, I've never heard that said, but I've heard that said. I mean, I have, I, they might as well have said it directly to me that, that, that I'm better than you and you need to get like me. I mean, they might as well have said it. In many settings, and put lots of... of, of of super spiritual words on top of it to make it sound good. But it was basically saying, you're not good enough, and you need to be better, and I've got something that you need other than Christ. That's a very dangerous position to be in. I don't recommend it to anybody. So he doesn't need, well, we went over this. I already talked about it a little bit. There's no hierarchy. He's with you always. You don't need to, I remember getting caught up in the whole, you know, making sure that God is first in everything. <laughs> the cool thing is, he is whether we believe it or not. <laughs> it's like saying, uh, I need to make sure that I know that I'm married to Tracy all the time. Right? <laughs> I need to remind myself every morning, I'm married to Tracy, I'm married to Tracy, I'm married. I don't have to think about that. I know that. We have a covenant. We're together. Same way with Christ, with, with, with God in us, we know that he's with us all the time. Anyway, I'm, I'm not going to chase that rabbit too long. It goes on to say, uh, love does not dishonor others. We'll put God in there too. God does not dishonor others. How many of you ever heard the truth hurts from somebody? Well, we love that. It's a good defense to us being jerks. I'm only telling you this because I love you. You sure? <laughs> it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> It doesn't feel like you do, but we use that because really we're trying to fix something that only God can fix. And so we put ourselves in a position the Holy Spirit as though the Holy Spirit can't do his own job. We have to be very careful in trying to shortcut the Holy Spirit because he's a big boy and he, he can do much more and greater things than you can. So being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and, and I've, I've, I've witnessed this in my own life, when, when I'm ready to jump, when I'm ready to do something, and I take a second to, to pray and go, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do in this situation? Most of the time, he says to wait. Wait a minute. Think about the person. Think about the situation. Think about their heart. Think about who they are, how they react. 
and adjust everything that you're going to say to them according to that. Why? Because it's putting that person above yourself. The same thing we saw in that video. It's a, it's a, it's a type of love that doesn't say, I'm right and you're wrong. It's a type of love that says, I want you to be restored. I want genuine transformation in your life, not outward constraint to try to control someone. The, the greatest fear in a person who seeks to control people is freedom. And when you, when you begin to hear from the Holy Spirit and they begin to, to, to tell you to love people and set them free, it's scary at first. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you firsthand, it's scary because you go, wait, what? Are you sure? But what's cool about that is it allows people to deal with their issues. It doesn't constrain them for years and years and years and years until finally they discover who they are and they've been held back for all these years. And they go, you know what? I've never even been allowed to be myself. I don't even know what I want. I don't even know who I am. I've been shaped by people my whole life out of, out of intimidation and fear and manipulation. And now I have to discover who I am late in life because I haven't been given an opportunity when I was younger. It's, it's difficult, especially with children, because children are learning, right? And so we have disciplines with our children. And that's, I think that's the next one is discipline. Um, but let's get to that. Okay. Let's see. We, we, don't need to, we don't need to say that God doesn't discipline because God does discipline his children just like we discipline. But we have to understand the perspective of God in the situation, not just our perspective. Our perspective makes it look differently than sometimes it really is. I lost my cap. Hmm? Do what? Now what am I going to do? I'm going to pick up my cap. Um, <laughs> ah, like it's the end of the world. Uh, but especially we, especially in the Grace Church, we, we, have a, we have a hard time sometimes dealing with discipline because we don't want to think that God's just, you know, this big bad God because he's not. But at the same time, we discipline our children in love, don't we? And there's a way that only a father and a mother can discipline their children. Other people can, and sometimes you really want to in the restaurants. I had, I'll tell you a story. We were in a restaurant, and I thought I heard my daughter say, yeah, instead of yes, ma'am. I guess maybe a southern thing. But it was the table next to me, and I was like, yes, ma'am. And it was somebody else's kid, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. And then the mom was like, no, you're good. She just said that. I was like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> Woo, Awkward. That reminded me of something else. I don't need to. I digress. I'll just keep talking about random things and kids. Uh, <laughs> no, I have to tell you. This doesn't have anything to. This doesn't have anything to do with my sermon. But I just I have to tell you this because it was funny. Jordan, my youngest little juju, we were in Bath and Body Works a couple days ago getting last minute like uh, Christmas gifts or whatever. Absolute chaos. Bath and Body Works is like a million smells and ten thousand people in a very small area, and uh, Jordan. You know, I'm just, I'm hanging out with them too. Tracy's over here trying to get something else or whatever. And they're looking at, they're looking through, I don't know, hand sanitizer. You need hand sanitizer for some reason. Um, and she walked around, well, she walked around a lady that was looking or whatever. And she went to turn around and she, she kind of slapped this lady on her butt. And the lady turned around and looked at Jordan and then looked at me. And then Jordan, thankfully Jordan covered. And she was like, I'm sorry. I thought she'd just run away, like she'd be scared because it's a stranger. She was like, I'm sorry. And the lady was like, it's okay, as long as some like strange man didn't come up and do it. That was a close one, because we're all close together. And I was like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Because Jordan could have ran away and she'd have looked at me and I'd be like, ah, <laughs> she did it. That actually happened. This is my life. All right. 
So we discipline our kids in love. So I spanked her later. Don't ever, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't spank her. No, I thanked her. I was like, thank you. That was very uncomfortable. Uh, but anyway, she, uh, with our kids, we discipline our kids, but we discipline them in love. We, we know, and I've told you guys this, this before, I've snapped at my kids out of reaction and anger, and I've had to go back and apologize to them. And that's a powerful thing for me to, to sit down and, and get down on your level and say, look, you know, what you were doing was wrong, and I was correcting you, but the way that I did it was not right. I, I shouldn't have done it that way because I could see fear in my kids' eyes, and I don't want them to be afraid of me like that. I don't want them to fear me in a way that they think that I would harm them. Because I love them, right? I really care for my kids. I want them to do the right things, and so there is discipline, but the discipline comes in love. And, it, and there's a way that only a, a father or mother can discipline their kids a certain way. Does that make sense? In the same way, our father disciplines us in a very loving way, in the same way. <laughs> I'm thinking of something ridiculous. All right, uh, let's see, God's, let's see. I don't know why I put, I put Holy Spirit will not punch you in the face. Holy Spirit is always, Holy, Holy Spirit will always lead you to honor people. God is not self-seeking. Um, God is not seeking to get something from us. This is something we have to understand. Talking about who God is and understanding who he is to understand his love, and by definition, God is not seeking anything from you. We have to get that. He doesn't lack anything, right? He's not lacking and needing us to do anything. All he wants to do is give us things. We're the ones that need. He has gifts for us for us to, to, to do that. So he's not self-seeking. He's not looking for anything. So there's another definition of him in love. Um, God is not easily angered. This is big. Many, many of you guys, I didn't grow up in a real legalistic church, but I hear stories of, of people and, and the hurt and the pain that people have been crushed from churches and from pastors. And it breaks my heart because I didn't experience that as much. I saw it from a distance, but I wasn't involved in it. I, didn't get, I wasn't born again until I was 20. Um, and I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't see a lot of that. But I hear you guys tell me stories about um, how you were just always afraid to do anything because you just thought God was angry and he was ready to smite you <laughs> at any moment because you might just mess up. We have to see that God is not easily angered. Now, we have to see that in the same way, like we said, we take everything to his end. If he's not easily angered, then he can be angry, right? He can get angry. We, we have to understand that he does get angry. We have to look at it in the context of, of the same way fathers would get angry with kids. What, what would I get angry with my kids about if someone seeks to harm them? Would I not be, get angry? If, if someone is deceiving them, would I not get angry about that? Listen, God got angry and sent Jesus to take care of that stuff for us. He's not easily angered. And in, in the same way, I don't, I don't seek to hurt anybody, but if somebody comes up to my kids and and seeks to hurt them, I'm going to get angry, right? It doesn't mean I'm just going to be angry at them all the time. And especially with them, I'm not going to be easily angered at all. And so we have to see that, that God's not easily angered. It's not every time we mess up, we gotta, we got to jump like, oh, oh. And Mark used to say, uh, be careful of the lies what you see, be careful of the ears what you hear, because God, watching from above, is squishy like a bug. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's this idea that God is just waiting and it's, it's kind of what I was hearing from the Holy Spirit in worship. It's like he's waiting for you to mess up so he can, but he's not, he's not intimidated by our sin. He's not intimidated by our mistakes. It's the whole reason he sent Jesus to die for us is so that we wouldn't have to worry about that stuff. When he talks about us confessing, I think I'm going to get to that in a minute. Yeah, God keeps no records of wrongs. 
So God's not stacking up our mistakes. When he talks about confessing, he, he talks about confessing our sins one to another because it benefits us to tell each other and work through it. When we confess our sins, we're born again. That's once and for all. Think about that. God's not stacking up all your sins, especially after salvation, he's stacking up all your sins. What if, think about this, what if you forgot one? Like if you, if you think you need to confess all your sins, have you confessed every one of your sins? Has anybody in here confessed every one of their sins? No. I mean, if you have, you're brilliant, much smarter than I am. But we, we have to get the mindset that he's not seeking to crush us, he's seeking to save us. We talk about John 3.17. We talk about John 3.16 all the time. We forget John 3.17. He didn't come to condemn us, he came to save us. He wants us to come to him and not be worried about this stuff. And he came and he died so that we wouldn't have to be. This is a, new, this is a renewed mind that says, I'm a new creation in Christ and now I just need to live like it. This is, this is a new perspective of God that says, he loves me, he's not easily angered. This, this type of unconditional love is the only thing that I can give people that will really help them. Not just mowing their lawn, although that'll help. Not just picking them up and dropping them off, although that'll help. But it's an unconditional love that will change them. Listen, we were talking about this the other, uh, last night, actually. Um, Chris just happened to be with me when kidney stones hit me on the way back from Andalusia. Thankfully, it hit me when we got back in the mobile. I had to pull over, and he drove me to the hospital. In the midst of extreme pain <laughs> and ridiculousness, oh, I forgot to tell you all a joke last week. I'll tell you in a minute. It's corny. Um, but in the midst of all that, um, we're tracking mud. We went, we went to Andalusia, like, off-roading in the Jeep, and so we had mud all over us, and we're tracking this dry mud off the hospital. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And they're like, oh, we've seen much worse than this. It's okay. But in the midst of all that, we were, we were kind of reminiscing because I forgot some either because I was in a lot of pain or the pain's meds kicked in. So we were going over and I forgot half the things that happened. And he was reminding me of some of the things that happened. But in the midst of it, we were both kind of blown away at how we had some really deep conversation about the Lord in the midst of a hospital room waiting on pain meds or whatever it was and passing kidney stones and getting CAT scans and <laughs> puking in bags and handing them to Chris. And nurse is not helping. What do we do with these? Throw them away. You don't have like a special place for puke bags? Apparently not. So in the midst of all that, we laughed. Like we joked around. And um, it's another thing I always talk about. It's okay to be a happy adult. It's okay to laugh. We have skewed perspectives. I do because all the adults that I knew when I was younger were just mean and mad and angry. So I thought when you get older, you're just going to get mean and mad and angry. But now that I'm older, I'm 40 years old, and I laugh all the time, and I think it's okay. That's okay. Like, it took me a while to come to terms with that. It's okay to be happy. You can be happy. Um, so don't, don't feel bad about that. We're supposed to have joy. We, you need to be redefining for your children what an adult looks like. I hope that I'm doing that for my kids. I hope that they grow up in an environment where they know that they can have joy all the time, that it's not their circumstances. It's not even kidney stones in the hospital can't take my joy. It came real close. If you come real close, I'm not saying it didn't come close. We can't still enjoy the corny joke I was until last week after the kidney stone episode was uh, <laughs> that the, I have to tell you because uh, y'all are the only people that I know, and so <laughs> y'all are my friends, and so uh, I was saying that the Lord says that if we don't worship Him, He'll make the stones cry out, but He made the stones make me cry out. <laughs> you see what I did there? Because kidney stones, and I was crying out. Boomch! Had to tell my corny joke. Womp, womp, womp. Thank you, Bill. 
God keeps no record of wrongs. Thank God. <laughs> the very definition of, of God is love, and love keeps no records of wrongs, so God keeps no records of wrongs. As far as the east is from the west, do you know that on a globe there is no end to that? It just keeps going around and around. We have a north and south pole. There's spots there, but there's, there, is, there is no east from the It just keeps going and going and going. So he, he casts our sins as far as from the east. He remembers them no more. So he's not waiting to like punch you in the face with all your sins when you get to heaven. Like, here's a movie. <laughs> Brian was telling me the other day about uh, he used to get, they used to give such a hard time about movies. Make sure you don't watch a PG-13 rated R movie when he was growing up or whatever, and kind of a legalistic church or whatever. And then, but then they would talk about when you get to heaven, God's going to have basically play like a movie of all your sins. And he was like, "Well, we're not going to be able to watch it." <laughs> and I was like, "That's pretty funny. <laughs> this isn't PG." I was there. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> so, so God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. God never fails. How cool is that? He didn't come to take care of some of your sin, and you take, you take care of the rest. He didn't come to halfway die or halfway resurrect, Right? He didn't kind of tear the veil. He, he did what he was supposed to do, and he completed the work that he was sent to do. Yeah. Completed means completed. <laughs> finished. It is finished. It's done. <laughs> done deal. It, it didn't fail. Are you worshiping, or you want to talk? I just, I just thought about something. <laughs> I can't tell. As thick as that veil was, if he had only done it halfway, we never would have been able to finish it. Oh, yeah, because it started at the top. Well, it started at the top, too. And had to go all the way to the bottom, or we couldn't have been walking. If he had taken it down to whatever level we were on, we still would have been able. Right, that's true. Man, listen. If there's anything that you get out of this, the good news is that you and and I'm, you guys know me. I'm I'm not a universalist or anything, but you have been forgiven already two thousand years ago. Whether you accept it or not is up to you. But everyone on this earth has already been forgiven. You just have to accept it. Listen, it, God says it's his own heart that everyone be saved. He wants everyone to be saved. He desires for people to come to him and know him. He desires for them to see how good he is and how big his love is so that they can share it with other people because he cares for them. Think about it, the whole golden rule thing they were talking about. I, I, I heard this a long time ago, and I teach it to my kids, too, about picking up trash. And I, when I was younger, I used to litter. I'd throw stuff out the window all the time, and I don't do it anymore. And, here, and here's one old man, I think we were at an amusement park or something, told me, he said, if, if everyone just picked up a little bit of trash, trash that they did not throw on the ground, if everyone just did pick, left an area that they came to better than when they got there, this world would be a better place. Yeah. Now transfer that over to relationship. Yeah. Transfer that over to loving people. If you left every relationship better than when you got there, this world would be a better place, would it not? Amen. If, if you loved better than anybody else has ever loved a person, how much better would this place be with everyone you came in contact with? Think about that for a minute. Think about the next Christmas party you go to and when your family comes over and your uncle jerk face shows up. <laughs> and he takes the last... What? I didn't point at you. <laughs> no, he was, he's outside. He's out back. He's, he's smoking a cigarette. And then, okay. No. <laughs> 
Uncle Jerkface. <laughs> That's your new nickname, Shane. Your Uncle Jerkface. <laughs> no. I'm jealous of your beard. I had to cut you down. I had to get you on my level. No. Anyway. So in the next, in the in the next, and this, and I'm not big on like challenging people and putting this on you or anything like that. But try this. Remember how good God is, regardless of any situation. Try this the next situation you're in, and you will be pretty soon, probably if Christmas is coming up. Um, <laughs> oh, so many things I can say. All right. Try in every. I want to say this correctly. Let me think about this. Don't try. Don't try. Let me. T- I take that back. There's no try. <laughs> I haven't seen the new one yet. Don't ruin it for me. Okay. Receive first. Receive real love from God. Unconditional love, eternal love, outside of time and space, outside of your own understanding, outside of your circumstances. Receive the love he has for you. Understand that the best that you can constantly. Share it. When you share it, the result of that will be you're leaving each place and each environment and each person you come in contact with in a better position than they were when they, met, when they first met you. Think about how contagious that would be, how much better this world would be, especially in church. We and Walmart. It's almost bad as kidney stones for Walmart right now. Be, be who you are in Christ all the time. I say be because if I tell you to try, you're going to be trying to do something that you don't need to try to do. Be who God says you are to people all around you and you will leave everyone in a better position than they were. You have to receive it before you can give it. You have to know that God is love and you have to know what love is and you have to know who God is so that you can be the person he's created you to be because when he begins to speak identity into you, you will change. And when you begin to speak identity into other people, they will change. Not outward constraint, inward transformation. You can scream, <laughs> you can scream at a caterpillar all day long, and it's not going to change into a butterfly. Be patient and give give time, give people time, and love them through it, and they will change. Stand up with me. I wanted to have a discussion. We're going to do this one day if I don't ever go over. I like having discussions at the end, but I don't want to go over because you guys have last minute Christmas shopping. I want y'all to come back for the outreach tonight. Lord, thank you for this time that we had in here this morning. Father, uh, you know us. You know what's in our hearts. You know that, that uh, we need you to help us transform into who you've created us to be. We know that we need uh, to constantly renew our minds to who you are and how you love. And as we do that, you will just, it'll be like waves, refreshing waves of, of your goodness. And it will be demonstrated in everything that we do because it'll be a natural byproduct of who, you, who we are now in you. Because we're not trying to do something that we're not. We're just identifying with who we really are. And so as you've transformed our hearts, Father, just continue to renew our minds as we leave this place and open our eyes to see people the way that you see people and see situations the way that you see situations and see that, that we are overcomers because of you and we can transfer that overcoming to other people. Father, thank you for living outside of our circumstances and showing us a way to, uh, to live outside them as well. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Merry Christmas.